This episode of Their Own Devices is sponsored by Hover.com. Hover.com is a domain name registry. That's the place you can go to purchase your very own custom domain name for your website. I went there because I wanted to buy TheirOwnDevices.com, but turns out somebody else already has it. So they gave me over a hundred other options for a close or similar domain name that could work. And I'll share some of those with you later in this episode. Go to Hover.com slash TOD if you'd like to purchase a domain name and you'll get 10% off. Our kids are online, but will they be all right? And will we, the parents, survive their digital adolescence? That's what we've been talking about over the past 24 episodes of Their Own Devices. This is episode 25 and the final episode of season one. So on today's show, we're going to take you back and look at some of the highlights, funny moments, best quotes, and some of our uh, favorite times from our podcast. We're also going to look ahead and give you a little bit of a preview of what to expect in season two, starting in hopefully late August. And finally, many of you have asked, well, what does our son think about all this? And so at the end of the episode, we may just have that answer for you. Hi, I'm Mark Roman, a tech policy expert and former White House advisor on privacy. I'm David Reitman, an adolescent medicine doctor who works with teens. We're also married to each other and raising a teenage son of our own. You're listening to Their Own Devices, a parenting podcast with practical advice for the 21st century. Their Own Devices started off about a year ago at a PTA meeting when Mark and I were asked to be on a panel, and we were the only two panelists who showed up, which meant that we got to talk to a room of parents and kids about digital media technology, social media, parental controls for about an hour. And someone came up to us afterwards and said, hey, you guys should do a podcast. And next thing you know, here we are. This has been an amazing couple of months, and we've spoken to a group of experts, a multiple groups of kids. And as we thought about this venture that we have taken on, we decided that for our last episode of the season, we wanted to put together some of what we learned, some of our favorite quotes, and share them with our audience. So please sit back and enjoy. One of our most popular guests was Jamie, the 12-year-old gamer from Maine, who clearly taught us quite a bit about Fortnite and other games. But I thought that maybe the most important part of that episode is when he talked to us about the fill feature on Fortnite when he plays with complete strangers. So listen to this. One thing that you can do is this is your choice, but you could plug in a microphone into your controller and talk to those people. Right. But if it seems a lot of the time you'll get some people who are like seem really weird. So then what you can do is you can always mute any people. I think I've found, you know, like older guys maybe in their 20s who are like, you know, a little bit creepy. And Uh it's always taking a chance, you know, playing Mm -hmm. with random people. So I always try to play with my friends. Wow, I think that most of our listeners listened to this and thought this is a eloquent kid. And he truly was. Yeah, all that stuff he was saying about strangers and meeting people online, this is a life lesson that could be used not just for 12-year-olds and 13-year-olds, but I think they could be used for 18, 19, 20, and 40-year-olds. I gotta say, if we hadn't been doing this podcast, I never would have had my son teach me to play Fortnite. And 
That was a hilarious experience. I'm not great at it, but it is still kind of fun to sit down and play with him, have him make fun of me. It's important to him, and now it's kind of important to me. So another bonus from hosting the podcast. So we all know that parents have concerns about how kids and teens are using social media, but we wanted to know from their perspective, do they have concerns? And it turns out they do. Here's what they said. If social media could shut off at a certain time for everyone, that mm-hmm. would be great. Okay. Like at like wow. seven o'clock, everyone go like, you're done. I think it amplifies like everything. So all the negatives are amplified and all of the positives are. Like I wake up in the morning, the first thing that I do is check my phone to see who texted me. And you go to bed? I go to bed at night. I Last yeah. thing I do is put down my phone. Like it's a drug. Social media is a drug. Like once you'll get on like for a little bit, like you'll like feel the high of like, you know, like loving it for the minute, like seeing everybody, all your friends. And after you keep on like going back, like going Even back again and again. Even the action of scrolling. Getting a like, like it's like a drug. It literally, it's just, it's, it has the same effect. Of course, this isn't a survey. This is not a representative sample. These are anecdotes and quotes from an episode, but they do show that even if these guests were maybe speaking in some kind of hyperbole and referring to it as a drug, whether it's that serious or not, there's clearly, clearly a concern among teenagers. It does tell us that perhaps some kids are really struggling with how social media is affecting their lives, both when they are online as well as even while they're trying to sleep. And when we kind of hear about anxiety that's affecting uh, kids around social media, this makes sense. So, of course, on that episode, I teed up the issue around privacy online. Of course, Mark did. And I was pleased to hear that at least in this context, they do have a grip on reality, as you can hear in this quote. Nothing is private. Like you would, like you can have a Finsta account with like five people, one person. Someone will find out yeah. about that drama, and it will get back to you, and you are in trouble. Clearly, they appreciate that anything they post online can be public and permanent, and yet there seems to be a disconnect when it comes time to making that split-second decision about what do we post and which pictures from the party go up and what do we circulate. But at least privacy is something they understand and they're actually taking steps to curate different accounts and to differentiate the kind of persona they portray for different audiences. We had three episodes that hit the topic of sexting. There are so many parts and points that we could highlight. We're just going to cover a couple of here that really stuck out. And for me, it was this one because... One of the things that I had been wondering the entire time was, do girls really want these pictures from guys? And we asked a few teenage girls that question, and here was their answer. Like, when a girl gets a nude from a guy, it's just like, we really don't care. Yeah. (laughs) Because we don't really want them. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, sure, I definitely some women do, and definitely some women like it. However, most girls that I've talked to, I mean, I don't really think they... Typically like seeing a penis, like, honestly. I thought that that response was absolutely classic. And you want to just say to these teenage boys, you know, dudes, what are you thinking? Do you really think they want to see that? It takes dating to a whole different kind of perspective when you hear these kids talk and what the meaning is of of sexting in 2019. 
And I think I've mentioned before, but there's only one episode of our podcast that I forced our son to listen to. And it was that episode, the girl's perspective on sexting, because I wanted him to understand and appreciate that no, no girl wants that picture. And when you're thinking about asking a girl out, send her a picture of your beagle instead. Yeah, that's probably going to be a lot more conducive to getting a date. I think that thinking back to those episodes, I wish that our audience could actually see Mark in the studio as we are hearing these things from these kids, both the boys and the girls, and from our guest, Ann Collier. It was really remarkable to see how Mark had to use excessive restraint to keep himself from falling on the floor. I don't know. I guess I'm used to hearing this stuff from teenagers. He totally wasn't, and it was quite a scene. On a more serious note, one of the things that I learned was that In so many cases, girls are not participating in sexting voluntarily, but they're feeling pressured, as these young women explained on the same episode. I think that girls can initiate it as well, but I think that, not in my own experience, but definitely when I hear about it happening with other people, it's normally the boys who end up pressuring the girls into it. And, you know, they might not explicitly say... No, you know what they do? A lot of times they do explicitly say, you know, show me a picture of yourself, you know, stuff like that. And I think that girls feel really pressured into pleasing them. Yeah, it's really interesting. And that one got me thinking because, you know, working on a college campus, there is so much that is discussed about consent and sexual harassment. And I really don't think that people really think about this kind of activity or this kind of receiving or uh, of sexual images always to be a form of harassment, but it absolutely is. And so once again, you know, we have to kind of say to our kids, both boys and girls, be careful what you're doing out there. And just to be clear, it can be harassment. It isn't always harassment. That's correct. I thought the most inspiring episode, for me at least, was the real-world consequences of cyberbullying. Our guest was Peter, who is a 20-year-old college student, and he shared with us a story that he had when he was a sophomore in high school where he faced relentless cyberbullying from older boys on Facebook, and it ended up in a really serious place, as this quote from that episode illustrates. I just left my house and left my phone and left it all, which is the first time I've ever been able to do that. And I think that's the reason why it didn't escalate any further is that I did leave all the devices they could connect with me on. It was just this incessant buzzing of worthlessness that had kind of been filling my head for a few weeks externally um, and just messages, the messages, the messages, and just like couldn't get it out of my head. And as I was walking there, I Never really calmed down until I finally got there and took some deep breaths. I went there with the complete intention to try and kill myself that night. I remember talking with Peter about this back when it was all happening. So for me, it was fascinating seeing how his perceptions have changed on this, or should I say evolved on this over the last five years. A few of the things that really resonated with with me were Peter's feelings about how his parents at the time he thought were totally wrong for limiting his social media use. And yet now, five years later, he does see you know why that was important for him, both therapeutically as well as developmentally, I think, as a young teenager. The other thing that really hit home for me was when he was being cyberbullied, 
it was getting him in his safe place, in his bedroom. It wasn't just something that was happening on the school grounds or anything like that. So that really kind of hit home again exactly what the impact of cyberbullying can be and why I think it is so much more dangerous in many ways than your traditional bullying that we see. One of the takeaways for me is that Peter was a popular, athletic, good-looking kid. His parents didn't suspect that he was being bullied. Others didn't suspect it. And yet he was under all kinds of incredible pressure. And he felt that he had to handle it alone. He couldn't block the kids. He couldn't unfriend them until it arrived at a really dangerous place. One of the funnier episodes might have been What's Your Parenting Style when we had two moms on who had incredibly different approaches to parenting and technology. One mom said that she had bought her kids every possible gaming console and there were no restrictions. And then our other parent, Adese Inequichi, had this to say about gaming. So during the week, for example, yeah. you, you have a game console in the yeah. house. Yeah. Do your kids game no. during the week? No. 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 Not on a school night? No. You're not allowed to game on a school night. You, As a freshman in high school, you should not have the time to be gaming on a school night. You've got English. You've got books you need to read. If, not, if you're done with everything, read ahead. Again, that's how I grew up. So that's, that's what it is. Personally, I love that because when my son says we're too strict because he only gets one hour a night, I just play that quote over and over and over and I laugh. I laugh too and our son has no idea. But you know what she said makes a lot of sense. I think that putting the gaming and that type of thing behind school is really something that a lot of us can learn from. We then had a discussion about entering into media contracts or media agreements. Something that I think is really useful where you document all the rules in the house that go around technology and it's a two-way contract so that there are obligations on our son and then we have obligations as well. It's a way to have a conversation and a way to make sure there's no misunderstanding about the rules and consequences. But Adese didn't think that was such a good idea. I do think that the intent, right, the intent of drafting a contract with language is basically to communicate to the kid that this is our understanding. We have a shared understanding. So I went back and thought about it and I thought, you know, I've done that. That's actually what I do probably every day. I've just never really Written it laid down. it out mm-hmm. and certainly would not tell him. And I think I may have said, Mark, you could learn a thing or two from black mothers. Yes, I would did. never say, oh, yeah, this is my responsibility. I, no, this is about your responsibility with the phone. I make the phone happen. I can make it not happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it's interesting. Right? It's just a, way, it's a different way of communicating <laughs> the same thing. So, Mark, I really think that thinking back to our facial expressions when we were recording that one, uh, she really took you to task. You are such a firm believer in these contracts, and that is the lawyer in you coming out, obviously. I do kind of wonder, you know, would you have survived in a household like that? Uh, If a Daisy had been my mom, uh, I don't know if either of us would have survived that. Definitely our son wouldn't have survived it, that's for sure. Actually... I would like to drop our son into Adese's house for a year and then have him come back. Or at least a week. I think that he will be teaching us a thing or two about how to really lay down the law in these kind of situations. In case it wasn't obvious, Adese and I are very good friends, and I know her kids. They are awesome. 
and I adore her. And so I'm making fun of her out of complete love and respect for everything she does. We've had a lot of amazing experts on this show. And one of my favorites, although I'm biased, was Michael Rich, not just because he's a pediatrician like me, as well as an adolescent medicine specialist like me, but he was also one of my mentors when I was a resident in pediatrics. And here is uh, one of the things he told us. So we can answer questions like, does screen time matter or not? You know, at, at this point, we think that screen time is not the issue so much as it is what they're doing in terms of content and how they're doing it, the context in which they're doing it. And that the screen time issue is more of an issue of what it displaces. It's not like there's some magic number of the right amount of screen time. It, it is, what are they not doing because they're on the screen? I want to emphasize just how important that quote is because there is so much misunderstanding and misinformation about this topic. We get the question all the time, how much screen time is too much? Or how many hours per day should a child be on screens? And it's really the wrong question because we have to think about how the child is using the devices. What are they doing? What kind of device? Even what time of day and in what context? So it's much more about how children are using screens, what technologies, what applications, and less about time. And in addition, the following two quotes were also really interesting. Online and offline mean nothing to kids. They live seamlessly between these two spaces. And parents sort of compartmentalize them, which is very artificial to a kid. To them, you know, Instagram is as real as the playground at school. So are you suggesting that kids are actually different now than they were a decade, two or three ago? Biologically, no. Behaviorally, yes. And I think that's an environmental effect. I think that we have to stop thinking about smartphones or the internet or television as vectors of either education or harm or both and start thinking about them as the air these kids are breathing. This is the environment in which they're growing up. Michael Rich was an incredible guest and I learned a tremendous amount from him as he taught us about the results of scientific medical peer-reviewed research about the influence of technology and digital content on children today. It's still early, but it is clear that the kinds of digital content our kids access and the way that they interact with technology and digital media can influence their development and their behavior. So that's a fact. And so we as parents need to be aware of just how our children are using technology. It's not just about screen time, but how our kids are using those screens. And I really liked him, even if he is an unshakable optimist, which, you know, at times was kind of annoying, but he is a pediatrician. This episode of Their Own Devices is sponsored by Hover.com. Hover.com is a domain name registry where you can go to purchase your own custom domain name. I went there to finally buy theirowndevices.com, but it is already taken. But Hover.com came up with over 100 different suggestions for other related domain names that would work. And I purchased four of them. There was a huge sale. It was so inexpensive, I couldn't pass. And I ultimately got theirowndevices.tech, theirowndevices.website, 
and their own devices.online, as well as their own devicespodcast.com. Very cool. It was easy to use, great UI, great interface, and now I'm the proud owner of four domain names. Maybe one day I'll be the proud owner of a website too, but that's next. If you want your own custom domain name, check out hover.com slash TOD, and that will give you 10% off your first purchase. When I think of some of the more controversial statements, I have to think back to Hooked, uh, how peer pressure is baked into social apps. And our guest was an engineer from Google and an author of uh, a book, and he's still an engineer from Google. And here's what he had to say about tech companies and how they approach designing and engineering apps for kids. Um, You know, when you're thinking about kids, I hope you're thinking about something a little bit different. Now, I think that we are sort of at a a stage in which some people are thinking the right things, but there are some people who are stuck in the old ways of thinking. Um, You'll sometimes hear people who are thinking about how to get children screen time reduced or limited. You'll hear things about how we can sort of promote that sort of healthy activity. So in, in perhaps in an education space, there's a mix of some digital and some physical learning. But there are also, unfortunately, times when people sort of blame the parents, right, for this kind of activity. And they say, oh, screen time is so high, it's bad parenting. Um, and it sort of sounds like old tobacco executives who blame teen smoking on the parents and not their own addictive product. Yeah, and I think for me as a non-tech person on that episode, I was really uh, surprised to hear how nothing is accidental and that whether it be YouTube or any other kind of app, that they are designed to keep you hooked. They're like the episode's title was, and they were designed to make sure that you spend as much time on that screen, on that app as possible. The fact that when I look at something on YouTube, whether it be Beagle Puppies or anything else, and there's and as soon as that one video is done, a second one comes on, second one comes on. I initially thought that was just clever, but now I kind of see that there is definitely intent in that. One question we asked all of our teenage guests on their own devices was, if you had an audience of parents, what advice would you give them? What do you want them to know? And what should those parents be telling their kids? So, here are their responses. I think parents just need to lead by example and set a good example for their kid. And I think always to think first before you're posting is like the most important thing to do and realize what the consequences might be. Whenever you take that video, take everything because there's no thing, there's no, there's no privacy on the internet. Right. The old generations would say, think before you speak. We now have to say, think before you post. I don't think there's any reason for anyone really that young to have the smartphone or any piece of technology with them at night. My mom always says nothing good happens after midnight. Especially true on social media, especially true. The internet's a crazy place. They won't, you can accidentally see things that your parents would not want you to see and haven't spoken to you about, so you won't know how to respond to them. And unless the, I'd say as a parent, you feel comfortable having all of the conversations, then you should probably wait a little while. And there's nothing wrong with a flip phone. I think you should be able to have like a sit down conversation and talk about like rules maybe that parents have or that the child wants. Like personally, I think I'm very open with my mother about most things. We did have a sit down conversation. Rules were a lot more strict when I was younger and they've slowly faded as I um, have figured out what is okay and what is not okay right. and what I'm yep. okay with doing and what should be avoided. 
I think parents have every right by any metric in any history of dating to worry. I think it's very valid to worry. I think that being that it's because it's based off of an online experience, I feel like that adds all the more reason to be more cautious. It's it is pretty dangerous. You don't know what you're getting until you until you experience it. Kids don't want you to pry and for you to say you're going to get an STD and he's going to get you hooked on crack. Something like they don't want to hear that. They want to ask, "Oh, so what's he into?" Like they want you to be interested with support and with honesty. So like if you're like, "I don't know, like it kind of sounds like sketchy." Like you can be honest, but like a lot of kids really feel judged because they already feel judged online. Just like you talk to your kids about alcohol, just how you talk to them about drugs and sex, you need to talk to them about sexting. And you need to tell them about the consequences of it and how to be safe if you're going to be doing it. And honestly, that's about as much as you can do because after that the, your kid is going to go ahead and make their decisions. Make their yeah. own decisions. Yep. So you need to prepare them if anything. Like this could prevent you from getting to college. Like this is the type of stuff mm -hmm. that goes on your record. Like this is this is an offense, and then like you can, it can also become like a federal offense, right? If it goes across like state lines and stuff. It's like mm -hmm. this is a serious issue that so, like seems like such a common thing to do. The kids that I know personally, whose parents are super restrictive on social media, are even more rebellious in like how they use social media. Like they they want it even more. Um, I think the age limit should yeah. be a thing because like you know you have people like. I mean, kids being born now who are like growing up now into this Instagram. Like, we didn't really use Instagram when we were a lot younger. Like, I know I wasn't using it when I was 10 years old, but I know 10 year olds that have Instagrams now. And I think that the age regulation should definitely be restricted. Well, what I've seen in my cousin is that her parents don't really like regulate her Instagram. So she follows like all these people just to get followers and then she unfollows them. So she doesn't know who's following her. I think like parents need to be like, maybe a little bit more strict about like who their child is following or who's following them. I think there needs to be, like for parents with young kids, there needs to be a constant conversation about social media and like social media usage. Because if you start the conversation when they're young, it's gonna be easier for them to talk to you when they're older. One of the things that struck me as a pediatrician and as an adolescent medicine doctor is that almost uniformly, these kids all recommended that their parents talk to their kids about social media, that they do it in a non-judgmental way, that they not be accusatory, that they try and understand what's going on, and that they try and align themselves with their kids and be an advocate for this their kids within this social media world that they're living in. I found that to be absolutely enlightening and probably one of the biggest takeaways that I heard show after show after show. Over the last 24 episodes, many of our listeners have been asking us questions like, what does your son think about this? And what are his reactions to your podcast and you guys doing this? So we thought that in this last episode of the season, we would ask him those questions ourselves and see what he has to say. So here he is in his own words. So what's it like when your friends tell you that they heard the podcast? At first, I thought it was kind of weird. My parents were doing the podcast. I was kind of like weird that... My friend's like, oh, I heard your parents do a podcast. 
then after a while, I'm like, okay, it's normal now. It's like got kind of cool. My parents did a podcast that some of my friends listened to. Did your friends ever say to you that they disagreed with the stuff that we were talking about? No, not really, because someone who listened to it don't really like have these rules in place. So, so your friends didn't have the rules in place, but I got the sense that some of your friends actually had more rules in place after their parents heard the podcast. What do you think about that? I mean, I feel bad for my friends. Um, <laughs> you feel bad for them? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a pain in the butt when you have, like, when, like, your friend's parents say something, and then, like, oh, I'm going to do that. Like, with you putting blocks on something. And then all my friends, my friend's parents say that. I'm like, oh, I'm going to do that with my kid. So you mean because Pop and I said that we were going to put blocks on stuff and told your friends about it, your, your friend's parents about it, then your friend's parents decide to do it. Yeah, and that's just kind of, like, kind of annoying. Gotcha. Were your friends mad at you? I don't really know, but I can imagine they're kind of frustrated. So is there anything that you would say you've learned about the podcast that you would recommend uh, to other kids, other 13-year-olds your age? Uh, something that I've learned from the podcast be like, don't post things on social media without thinking about it. Why not? Because like, if it comes back later and it could be really bad for you, if you post something kind of dumb, like you say something that you're going to regret, like think about what it's what you're saying and if you should post it and how it could later come back up and affect you. Probably think about that. He's a chip off the old block. I don't know what that means. Well, it turns out my son actually did learn something from the podcast and from my incessant lecturing or maybe my active engagement as a dad. And that's pretty rewarding. People ask us what was the best part about doing a podcast, particularly since it's not something we planned. And the answer for a lot of people, you know, that I share is surprising. And that's this. I have to say, honestly, I am a better dad today than before the podcast. By sitting down and talking with teenagers, experts, other parents, I now feel that I've got a better understanding about how our children are engaging online. I have a better understanding of how teens perceive their world, the digital world, the online world, the intersection between the two. I feel like I understand the things they love, some of their frustrations, and in particular, I feel like I have a better understanding of some of the challenges they're going to face, which means that when it is my son one day, I feel like I'm not going to be quite as shocked or surprised. I will be in a better place to have that sort of calm discussion, get to the problems first, help my son solve them, maybe punish later, maybe not. But I just feel like I've got a good awareness of the range of issues that our kids are dealing with when it comes to technology, whether that is gaming or social media or YouTube binging or navigating hazards like online bullying and sexting, regardless of the topic, this little bit of knowledge I think is going to help me be a better dad. And I've also heard from a lot of you through email that particular episodes proved kind of helpful for you and was a way to launch into a discussion with your kids. And really for me, that just made it. That made the whole endeavor completely worthwhile. So with that, let's look ahead because we will be back with season two and we are really excited about that. So some of the topics that we started working on but didn't get to in season one, 
one of them, the one that was most requested, but we didn't have the bandwidth and I wasn't sure that I had the um, mental capacity to tackle, but we are going to look in season two at online pornography and how and when our kids are accessing online porn and what that might mean for them. Uh, we're also going to start off by looking at how schools are using technology. Sometimes it's great, sometimes there's no real strategy. And uh, we have spoken with a lot of parents and teachers who have some pretty passionate views about how technology is now introduced and interwoven into education. We also have an episode on school policies regarding cell phone use and bringing your own device to school. Man, do I have strong views on that, but we'll hear from a wide range of views. Uh, and we also have an episode in the works that will look at the different ways that teenagers circumvent parental controls, circumvent the rules, both at home and at school. That is a taste of what's to come in season two of Their Own Devices. We definitely hope that you will join us for season two. By then, I might even have a website that goes with all of the domain names that I purchased at Hover.com uh, because they're sitting there and I would like to post resources that we like that would help parents that go with each topic from each of our episodes. So stay tuned for their own devices website and season two. As this first season of Their Own Devices comes to an end, I think it's important to acknowledge uh, some people who have really helped make this show a success. First of all, our listeners who have been sending us questions and really helped us to shape this podcast into what it has become. We really did listen to the feedback that people gave us and try to uh, produce content that would be really interesting to listen to and thought-provoking and discussion-provoking with uh, our teenagers. I think that a special thank you has to go to our son, who has been with us through the beginning and has inspired us to do this show, both um, from our experiences with him, as well as our hopes for what we want to see him become as a member of this social media generation. He has really had to listen to us talk about this pretty much nonstop over the past 8 to 12 months, and he's been a great advocate for us. And even though he will never admit it, I think he secretly may actually think it's cool. As an adolescent medicine doctor, I tend to think that I'm fairly up to date with what's going on in the world of teenagers. This show and our teenage guests really helped to show me that I still have a lot to learn, as do we all. And I think that one of the things that I loved about doing this show was that it made me a better doctor to my patients and really helped me to help my patients and their families to deal with some of the struggles and issues that come up around social media. And that's it for both episode 25 and season one of Their Own Devices. Again, David and I just want to thank our entire audience for staying with us, for listening, sharing, and promoting the podcast. It's been rewarding for us. We hope it's been enjoyable for you. And we'll be back after the summer with season two of Their Own Devices. Thanks for listening to Their Own Devices. This show is a conversation, and we'd love to hear from you. Email us at hello at theirowndevicespodcast.com. Their Own Devices is hosted and produced by Mark Roman and David Reitman. The podcast is recorded at Clean Cut Studios in Washington, D.C. This episode was edited by Ryan Dan. Be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app. 
And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. It will help other parents find the show and get the info they need. We'll see you next time. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe.